You're listening to the TV and Film Christ and Pop Culture Podcast, Seeing and Believing. I'm Wade Beard. And I'm Kevin McLenathan. We are back for our second episode. We did it, Kevin. We made it to the second episode, and they have not pulled the plug yet. Not yet, and we're going to make sure they don't. We've got a great show for our listeners today. We're going to be talking a little bit about Terrence Malick, his films, and what they mean for us as Christians. We're also joined today by Josh Larson. Josh is someone we both look up to. He's the editor of thinkchristian.net, as well as the co-host of the Film Spotting podcast. He's going to be talking today about how we as Christians should view and interpret films. All of that and more is coming up on the second episode of Seeing and Believing. To seeing and believing. I'm Wade Bearden. I'm joined by my co-host Kevin McLenathan. And we're also here with the editor of thinkchristian.net and co-host of Film Spotting, Josh Larson. Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Congrats on the new podcast. And I really am impressed by the theme you guys have come up with. You're only going to have guests named Josh. Is that right? That's, that's, <laughs> that what... Is, that's what we're aiming for. And um, if you know anybody else named Josh, <laughs> yeah. then we're looking for someone for next week. I was yeah. going to say that might get tough around, what, episode 50 you might Maybe a wall there. Maybe 50 or, 50 or 60. I feel like we'll hit and then we'll move on to something else. Jeremy or something like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so, uh, Josh, you're up in Chicago near Chicago, correct? That's right. And uh, Kevin, you're up there as well. Yeah, and that's right. I'm watching the news and it's very, very cold right now. Yeah, let's just let's just not talk about it. <laughs> and let's so, just get through it. Ignore it. Pretend like it's not happening. I feel like I can relate because, you know, I'm in, I'm in Texas and it, it got all the way down to 60 today. So it was, it was kind of scary. We almost had to turn on the heater. So that's, that's why. Are are you going to be okay, Wade? I I think I'm just going to bunker down with some Campbell's soup and we'll make it. It'll be okay. Uh, we're here and, and Josh, I, I read an article you posted recently on thinkchristian.net. It was while you were at Sundance. And it really intrigued me, and I wanted to get you on uh, one of the first couple episodes because some of the things you were talking about, I felt like they formed the foundation of of kind of what we of what we are trying to do here at Seeing and Believing. You mentioned uh, in the article, I guess the proper way that Christians should view and interpret film and television, and you you mentioned this balance between over-spiritualizing and under-spiritualizing films and, and television shows, and you also mentioned finding God's story in film. And so I thought that was that was fascinating, and it really it forms kind of the, the foundation, that discussion forms the foundation of, of what we are trying to accomplish here. And so I guess I wanted to just kind of discuss that and get your thoughts on that. How do we as Christians watch television and and film? Sure. Yeah, it's, you know, and maybe we should frame it less as here are the steps every Christian should follow and mm-hmm. maybe just talk about, well, here's how we're trying to watch movies and television, and maybe it also makes sense to you because sometimes, you know, it's it can be a little dangerous to give these um, absolutes of this is how Christians should behave, especially when it comes to engaging pop culture. So Mm -hmm. um, 
I guess that's that's how I will frame it, and it feels that way because that piece did come very much out of a conversation, conversations that were had at Sundance because I went with a group. It's uh, called Into the Noise, mm-hmm. and so this was a small group of Christians. I think we had about 20 people. Uh, some were recent seminary grads. Some were in the film industry. Some were critics like myself, and it was just a chance to get to immerse ourselves in film and talk about just thoughtfully consider the movies that we saw in community and one of the major topics of course was how are we going to do that not only in that environment but then expand that to how do we do it as Christians every day as people who love film and watch a lot of movies so that idea of under spiritualizing or over spiritualizing that was actually something we were encouraged to keep in mind from Eric Kuyper who's the director of Into the Noise he okay. kind of gave an introductory session and he just laid out you know as you go into these films um just try not to swing either way uh, which really did resonate with me. It, it, mm-hmm. it made a lot of sense and was helpful in, in seeing the films and kind of processing them. And so he also talked about this idea of, uh, of meeting the filmmaker, which is something that I've heard other Christians engaged in film also say. And it's, but it's still something that I think is relatively new where we're not going into movies with suspicion or with the burden of having to declare whether they are, uh, you know, good for us or bad for us. That sort mm-hmm. of, that sort of, um, you know, dichotomy we want to place on films isn't always very helpful. So, so Eric was encouraging to meet the filmmaker. Don't bring our own cultural, religious, or personal baggage to the, to the film. Um, and, uh, you know, let them speak first, I guess. And, and this is sort of something I did touch on earlier in the year when it came to Noah, um, the film Noah from Darren Aronofsky is that even though we consider Noah as Christians our story in a way, and, and I don't know how right that is, but uh, we tend to, at the same time, we need to let Aronofsky speak first about how he's going to interpret the story and, and give him the first word. So that's kind of the meet the filmmaker idea. Um, and, and then the other thing I, I would just add is this idea of, of God's story um, I think what we do recognize as Christians, and here's where that trying to find a balance comes in, is that even though we're meeting the filmmaker first and hearing their story, the film story, and letting that speak to us and giving it a chance to to claim a space um, in the cultural conversation, we also do recognize that this story is within God's larger story. The story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, Every smaller story is somehow a part of that. Even those stories that are told by filmmakers who put no stock in God, um, who would, if not say, eh, you know, I don't really know, and I wasn't thinking about that when they, I made the film, they might say, yeah, no God, that's ridiculous, I'm not interested in it. Yet we understand with the idea of God's sovereignty that that overarchs any of our individual human desires, stories, narratives. Hmm. So here's where the balance comes in and where it's really tough and where I'm, I'm hesitant to say, and this is how we do it, because mm-hmm. finding that balance is something that's a struggle. Uh, allowing a film to speak and exist as a piece of art and responding to it that way, yet at the same time looking for theological resonance within it, may not, always, may not be there all the time, but there's potential for it, 
and paying attention to that and saying, as a Christian with a specific worldview, um, here's here's how that film is resonating with me. And, and this is separate from saying it agrees with my worldview, so it's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I'm sorry, it agrees with my worldview, so it's good. Or it disagrees, so it's bad. I, I'm not saying that's what we bring to it. But just this idea of that, this larger story that we understand as true, how does the film or the television show possibly inform that, challenge that, just make us think about that in ways that mm. um, Bible study, church, more traditional modes of thinking about God may not. I um, I posed uh, the question on Twitter today and just kind of asked, I said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Do you have any questions? And we had uh, someone uh, tweet in a question. I thought it was it pertained pretty well to to what you were saying about interpreting the artist on their level and first looking at what they're trying to do before we impose our views. And he asked this. It was from uh, Taylor Johnson. He says, "Can I find Christ in atheist art or art, you know, made by by someone who doesn't believe in God and still be doing a good job interpreting art?" And it seems like there is this interesting line like you had mentioned between interpreting first what they're trying to say and then finding its place in the larger overall narrative how does one kind of start to think in that way of of first going after their worldview before we go after ours i think you know what's probably helpful is to not go into a film with the goal of coming out with that theological angle. And I've found, so, so where I struggle with this is when I write on Think Christian about movies sometimes, because, um, this is a relatively in the last few years, new form of writing about film for me. I, I raised a Christian, but my professional career has primarily been in the mainstream press. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, what's been really exciting about coming to Think Christian, but also challenging is how do I do this? So I will find there are times where, there's a certain movie because it's there's a lot of hype around it or people are anticipating it that we want to write about. And the danger is to go into that saying, okay, I know I'm writing about this on Think Christian. I've got to find something here. That's maybe not, and I say that as someone who's guilty of doing that, and you could probably read some of my past pieces and say, oh yeah, that's where he did that. <laughs> because it hasn't resulted in the best piece and it's not doing what I had been talking about. It's not necessarily, I'm going in with an agenda, um, I guess is a way to put it. And it may not be the other agenda I'm talking about, placing judgment on the film as worthy or not to be viewed by Christians. But I'm still going on with an agenda that unfairly supersedes the filmmaker's position. So even if you are, even if you are approaching a film knowing that you want to mine it or sift it, for some sort of theological resonance, that's maybe not where you should start, if that's possible. I mean, if your brain can operate on, on more than one channel while you're watching a film, um, you almost have to start as if you weren't going to do that. Um, find what the film says to you itself, and after you feel like you've got a handle on that, then maybe revisit, okay, are there echoes in those things that resonate for me as a Christian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that... That makes a lot of sense to me. I wonder if you would uh, agree with the the idea that 
when we when we watch movies and television, uh, we approach it more as uh, as a conversation. So rather than trying to find something particular, find a particular message, like approach it as if we are engaging with another person, because essentially we are. I I would imagine. And would you say that uh, it's it's helpful to to approach it that way, like thinking of it not as so much as an artifact, but more of a of a conversation between the filmmakers' ideas and your ideas? Yeah, absolutely. And what's fun about film and television, at least for me, is that, uh, I mean, to a degree, I'm an auteurist. You know, I, I follow directors' careers. I have favorite directors. I enjoy finding common themes, uh, aesthetic touches in their films. But I also truly believe that movies and to maybe a larger degree television um, become their own things once they've left the filmmaker's hands because they are so collaborative, okay? You have so many people putting their hands on it. There are so many different artistic elements at play that movies become their own things. So that conversation then often to me is less important about what did the director intend to say. I don't like going into a film and trying to figure out what is the director's statement mm-hmm. uh, out of this film? Because really the movie has become its own thing. So you can still have the conversation, but it's a conversation with the film as its own entity. Um, and, and, and not necessarily what the filmmaker, it, a film, I firmly believe a film can become something very different from what the film, the director or the screenwriter may be. Intended, And there's something really exciting uh, about that for me, about going into films. And I think there's something very spiritual about that, um, which speaks mm-hmm. back to this idea that um, if, if God can speak, well, there's two aspects of it. God could speak through art, certainly, or art can speak about God independently of maybe its intentions or aims. Uh, and now we're back to the, the, the crux of it, though. As long as we don't hijack the art, to try to force it into doing that. Yeah, and I, I understand exactly what you mean. I was reading articles that I had written, my first film reviews, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's a way I can get those off the internet. <laughs> because it's, it's that, it's that you go in with the mindset and you, you, you look and you try to find details and you cram details in and they're, and they're not, and they're not there. Uh, I was thinking, I get asked a lot about because I write about different films, because I'm also a pastor, I get asked a lot about, should I see this film? Or because you enjoy this film, or or maybe even uh, give this film a good review, does that mean necessarily that everyone should see it? And so there's this constant kind of struggle, I feel, with looking at a film artistically, but then also explaining, you know, I don't know if everyone should see that based upon the content. And in your sure. work, how how do you find that balance between artistic and content as you're speaking to essentially two different audiences, secular and and faith based? Sure. Well, the you know the audience question is key for me, um, and, and that's very helpful in uh, in thinking about when I do shift from say uh, writing about something I think Christian, reviewing movies on my own website, which is geared toward a popular audience. Or talking about on film spotting, which is sort of a, a, a cinephile audience. So that's helpful to me in determining what am I going to pull out of a film or concentrate on. But the question of when someone, you know, asks you, uh, should I go see this film? 
that, that's that's the hardest thing unless you know the person well. And, and the really difficult mm. one is when parents that I don't know well or know their children will say, should I take my kids? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that, that's even harder. <laughs> Um, because kids are not this monolith. They all respond to, to films differently, no matter what their age. I guess what I would stress is in this shift that I feel like we've started to take, and I would like to see push further for Christians away from um, counting swear words in movies and, and judging them on that basis to letting the art speak first and after the fact, bringing our faith into it. I don't think we need to throw out the notion of discernment. And what's difficult about that is discernment is personalized and discernment isn't something you can put on a swear chart or a sex scene chart or a violence chart as some Christian outlets used to grade movies. A discernment is something that is very different for me than it is for you and that it is for you, Kevin. It's, it's, Whenever I, I do believe that this came up when we talked about on Think Christian sexually explicit films last year, last mm-hmm. summer, and it was in regard to Nymphomaniac. Um, I also uh, wrote about it at Real Spirituality, which is another great site for this sort of discussion. Yeah, and it, and the idea was that all Christians should be able to engage with sexually explicit films, um, or you know films that are trying to be art at some level, but not all Christians have to, mm-hmm. because that recognizing that can very well be an area where someone may feel it's it's just not healthy for me. It's, it's something I struggle with. And, uh, you know, that is not going to help me in my faith walk. So it's, it's recognizing that discernment still plays a crucial role in this. And, and so when someone asks you that question, it's hard to answer again unless you know um, how they are films already, mm-hmm. uh, what they struggle with in their life, where certain films on certain topics, whether, you know, maybe, maybe it's alcoholism, who knows what it is, might um, touch off things for them that aren't helpful. So that's just, it's, it's just a really difficult answer, a question to answer unless you know the person really well. Josh, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, uh, what you would say to somebody who, uh, advanced the argument that's kind of a, a unique, unique to film and television, which is that, uh, when you're reading a book, uh, if there's a violent scene or, or there's a sex scene in a book, like there's, there's no actual flesh and blood uh, involved in creating that imaginative event. Like it's all, it's all print on a page. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few, a few, uh, uh, Christian writers, uh, in the last year, I feel like it's become a lot more common for them to poke at the idea of film and television having actual flesh and blood people depicting certain things that, uh, are, uh, not only immoral in the imaginative uh, sphere, but also could possibly be interpreted as Im- as immoral in the real world. For instance, nudity. Um, so I- I'm curious to know how you might answer, uh, how you might distinguish between the imaginative and the actual when it comes to the making of of a film that has this kind of explicit content in it. That is a tough one. You couldn't have sent me that one in advance, Kevin. <laughs> We we thought we would ambush you a couple of weeks in advance. <laughs> Boy, uh, so I guess I would say that for me as a reader slash viewer, I don't 
make a distinction. Uh, and I say that understanding that as, as Christians, we, we very much believe that the body matters, that our bodies matter, physicality matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's why the incarnation matters. Uh, yet when we're, you know, my experience of things where I, I have felt like this is not good for me often occur more for whatever reason when reading. Um, and let's take an example of inherent vice. I read the pension novel and it was, it was just, you know, for whatever reason, I thought, you know, that, eh, I, I don't know if this is, this is, uh, that healthy for me. Um, and I don't know if it was Providence or what, but I lost the book on an airplane and never ended up pinching. <laughs> so I went, that, that was God saying, you're like, no, not, not for you, Josh. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, not that it was, it was, poorly written or anything like that. It, it was just, um, I mean, it, it's a pretty sleazy book. And, um, and the movie, at least up to the point I read, was true to the sleaziness. But for whatever reason, maybe it's how I respond to um, film as opposed to literature. You know, I didn't have that sense with the movie. And, and I'm not putting this on the works of art. I'm putting this on myself. It was, it was strictly my response to the art. So I don't see a distinction there um, in terms of that, you know, flesh and blood is involved in film and television. Mm-hmm. The really tough question, which I'm going to dodge because I'm <laughs> in a position, I'm not a filmmaker. Um, more to the point, I am not an actor or actress. And I don't know how I would answer, I don't know how I would answer that question if I were in their positions and, um, you know, felt that was making a film that was not an exploitation film. Um, yet had those sorts of elements, be it violence. I don't want to just, you know, ghettoize sexuality here. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, violence is something sure, we're, sure. we're willing to overlook much more easily, um, which I do as well, but I don't understand why. And, uh, so whether it's as an actor or a filmmaker, I think that's a harder question to, to answer. Yeah. I, and, uh, the reason I kind of ambushed you with that question is I kind of, it, it just occurred to me in the moment because that's also something that I kind of, I, I tend to struggle with it a little bit in terms hmm. of what, what the ethics of, of being a, yeah, a, where, a so where are you at is, with it? Cause yeah. it's, that's, it is a really interesting question that I haven't, you know, put that much thought into. Where are you at, uh, in terms of trying to get your head around it? Oh, man. We just, we, he just turned the tables on you, Kevin. Yeah. I, I, I did this to myself. Uh, no, I, I'm inclined to, uh, kind of adopt a similar position to yours in that uh, part, part of being, uh, an, an artist in film and television is you, is you learn to, um, there's, Part part of the art is engaging with the process in a way that protects yourself um, as a person from and just keeps yourself distinct from whatever it is that is happening during during filming or okay. on stage or, or whatnot. So I I'm I'm inclined to kind of employ your dodge a little bit and say you know <laughs> that's that's something that is maybe more of a ministry question for. Uh, a, a discernment and ministry question for people who are actually engaged in making those things. Yeah. At the same time, it, and this is probably a part, a part of my own personal discernment process is not, is in considering what to buy a ticket for, uh, perhaps 
thinking not only about how what the content will uh, how that content will affect me in, in in my imagination and so forth, but also how it might have affected the people involved. But you know that's sort of an extrapolation because I can't know for sure. So mm-hmm. it's it's a tricky process for sure. And I think part of the reason why I asked asked you about it was I was hoping you would you would part the heavens and <laughs> deliver yeah, yeah. the answers from on high, perhaps. Good luck. Yeah. You've got the wrong guy. <laughs> well, oh. before I get ambushed with a question, I think we'll go ahead and transition. We'll be right back on Seeing and Believing. We're going to be talking Terrence Malick. in this episode is from Warehouse Riots, and the song is Lobotomy. Kevin, speaking of lobotomy, there are a couple things I love about our podcast, Seeing and Believing, even though we're only on the second episode. One thing that I love is that we have great critics like Josh Larson, guests who can come on and speak with us. I, I love that. Secondly, Kevin, I love that we get to interact with our listeners. Yeah, we've got... Uh a really great way to, you know, interact with, with our listeners and just sort of see, get, keep our finger on the pulse that's, of what is going through, what is going through the seeing and believing hive mind. Yes. Yes. And one of the ways that we do that is by allowing you, well, we don't really allow you, Kevin, we don't allow them to, but Apple gives them an option to review us and to give us feedback on the show and we promised last week that we were going to take all of the names the screen names of the individuals who go ahead and, and review us and we were going to pull one out of a hat or or something equivalent to a hat and we were going to send them an autographed picture of a celebrity here's the catch though it's not autographed by the celebrity on the picture okay Two different celebrities altogether. Those celebrities, Kevin, well, they're kind of like pseudo celebrities. They, it's us. Okay. No, it's, no, man, we're n- pseudo nothing. We are, we are bona fide celebrities. I'm okay. printing out business cards with that on it. <laughs> just, it's like profession celebrity. That's just, yeah. like, this is who we are. And we're going to give you an inspirational message. So we've collected the reviews and I'm, I'm pumped. We, we've gotten like 10 reviews. I'm, I'm super excited. We got, we got them from all over the country. Maybe, maybe even the world. I had people telling me from Canada that they were reviewing us. And so I'm pumped about that. We've got, we, people have rated us. So we, we love you. We love all of you. And we're going to take those reviews 
and we're going to choose one. And Kevin, now this is kind of your this is kind of your your deal. How how are we gonna how are we gonna choose one person? What, what are we gonna pull from today? Yeah, so I have in my possession uh, a chalice. It's uh, it's a chalice. It's a, yes, it's a chalice. It's a Lord of the Rings chalice. Back when Fellowship of the Ring came out, uh, Burger King had a special deal, uh-huh. and uh, and, you, and you had it your way. You know what I'm I saying? had it my way. I got all four of the chalices, but I figure the best one for this occasion <laughs> would be the one with the face of Ian McKellen on it to okay. lend a little bit of legitimacy to our enterprise. So yeah, what I've he's done, a, he's a very legitimate man, and I feel like he could he could bring us over the top here. Like like he, this he, is this is this is this is great. Like he's a perfect guy. His distinguished presence uh, will make this give this an air of legitimacy and wonderment. Yeah. So uh, I've put all of the names of the people who uh, rated and reviewed us into this chalice, and I'm going to flip the switch on the bottom that makes a little red light come on. (laughs) I I, I love this. I love this. Is like it's it's great because you're gonna choose one name, and the rest shall not pass. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like right. get it, get it. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> so, so listeners, you you can't see what's going on right now, but there's red light illuminating the names <laughs> from below. Yes. And I'm going to reach inside, and it is going. I the, can hear. The I can hear the paper. I can hear the paper. And the chalice gives me a name. What is what does Sir Ian McKellen tell us? Sir Ian McKellen tells us that a Doctor Chucky Larms, <laughs> yes, <laughs> is is our is our proud winner. So, Doctor Larms, if you could uh, please email us, contact us at either C uh, Believe Pod P O D on Twitter yes. or email us <laughs> with your actual name and actual address, assuming... Oh, hey, whoa, hey, that don't make fun of... That could be his real name. There, I'm that, sure there's a lot of Chucky is <laughs> out there. And what do you, what branch of medicine do you think Chucky Larms specializes in? Uh, I... My guess is that he specializes in psychology. Because if I if I walked in for psychology and you know I I needed to talk to someone and his name and the doctor's name was Doctor Chucky Alarms, I think I would probably leave. Just well, to be honest, uh, attentive listeners will note that Chucky Alarms is a spoonerism for Lucky Charms. <laughs> thank, so thank you, thank you for clearing that up. I will. I will. <laughs> let people draw their own conclusions. But anyway, uh, Dr. Chucky, if you want to contact us uh, to let us know where we should send our autographs, uh, that would be wonderful. Yes, and do so as soon as possible. Uh, Dr. Larms, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that without laughing. As soon as possible, Dr. Larms, we're going to send you that autograph photo, and then we want you to tweet a picture of you and that photo at us. And we will put it in the show notes for the entire world to see. And who knows who the celebrity is? It could be Sir Ian McKellen. I don't know. We, I don't know, Kevin. But we'll, it's, 
we'll we'll get it we'll get you we'll get you a picture of someone someone real nice oh yeah oh yeah if you would like to contact us maybe you're not dr chucky alarms maybe you're someone else but you would like to send us some feedback ask a question or maybe you have an idea topic kevin uh, sent you the handles just a second ago but i'll repeat them you can contact us on twitter at c believe pod or on gmail uh through email at seeing and believing c-a-p-c gmail.com we would love to hear from you kevin one of the things that's really kind of the the lifeblood of of what we do here at christ and pop culture uh their memberships and that helps keep our podcast afloat for five dollars a month only five dollars what can you buy for five dollars a month kevin uh you could probably buy a very small dog do you think you could buy one of the, the lord of the rings burger king chalice for five dollars or i don't know the complete set is probably worth way more than that oh i i am a collector these are going to pay for my retirement so there you go for less than a burger king's lord of the rings chalice you could become a member of christ and pop culture you gain access to our private facebook group uh free offerings uh, free music it's it's really incredible and um you help support not only our podcast but also some of the other podcasts here at the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Uh, yeah, that's right, Wade. Uh, and the podcast that I really want to plug for our listeners today is our podcast called Persuasion. It's a women's focused podcast, but there's lots there for for everybody. It's hosted by Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, and every week they just get together and they talk about uh, women's issues, but also just uh, interesting theological and pop cultural topics that that anybody can really engage with. Their first episode, I actually listened to it, and it was fascinating. They had a wonderful interview with uh, J.R. Vassar to talk about his book Glory Hunger, and uh, it's just really meaty stuff. Really, really interesting. Really engaging. So yeah. if you if you uh, like what you're hearing here, then give Persuasion a listen. They'll knock your socks off. to the second half of Seeing and Believing. Uh, this is the part of the show where we're going to be delving a little bit into Terrence Malick here with uh, Josh Larson, our guest. With Terrence Malick's new film, Night of Cups, coming out this year, it kind of seemed appropriate to talk about him a little bit. Uh, he's really famous uh, for uh, engaging with faith in, in a way that many uh, filmmakers in the artistic mainstream do not. He, uh, he's kind of an enigmatic figure himself, uh, for listeners who aren't necessarily as familiar with him. Terrence Malick, uh, has made a total of, uh, six films, right? No, si- well, seven films counting Night of Cups. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, he is he works slowly. There was a time, a period in the '80s after his uh, second film, I believe, where he kind of disappeared for a while, and there were rumors of whether he was dying or writing a novel or doing some other artistic project uh, before he came back with a thin red line in the, uh, in the nineties. Um, so he's, he's a very interesting figure. And part of what makes him interesting again is uh, the faith aspect to his art. Um, the tree of life kind of brought him into the Christian consciousness in a whole new way, just because of how uh, directly it dealt with issues of faith and doubt and Sort the sort of thing that uh, I don't know Christians who love art like like us three just you know we we love that kind of stuff we eat it up and he started working at a greater clip these days so I guess to get us started what sort of expectations do we have for Night of Cups the film that is going to be releasing this year well Kevin I was looking at some of the reactions and it seems like there is there's there's both right there's there's this is his best film since Thin Red Line. Uh, and then there are some that are saying this is just, it's, it's not good. I, I feel like with, with Malik, he's very difficult for many people to kind of grasp because his storytelling is very unconventional. But I'm really interested in Knight of Cups simply because it's kind of this modern day setting. It kind of delves into, uh, Hollywood and, uh, Christian Bell, I believe, plays a, a screenwriter who's kind of just dealing with all these all these demons and he's dealing with fame and, and money and coming to grips with all that. And so I, I, I feel like I have with Malik's films, I have high expectations. And I think it's I think it's because, like you mentioned, he he really hits some of those deeper spiritual themes. Tree of Life is a great example. To the Wonder is a great example. And so I, I have, I have high expectations. I'm, I'm wondering when we'll actually get to see, you know, Knight of Cups in, in theaters. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely highly anticipated by, by, uh, Malik fans and, and maybe non-Malik fans as well, just to sort of see what he's doing now that he's working more frequently. Um, Josh, I'm kind of uh, curious. You're, you're a Malik fan. Would you describe yourself as one? I am a, yeah, I've, I've always been interested in his work, but I am, only recently, since the Tree of Life, probably someone who could be called a Malik enthusiast to the point where I have Night of Cups on Film Spotting a few episodes ago, maybe a month ago, we did our top five most anticipated movies of the year, and I put it at number one. So okay. that's that's just where I'm at with it, with the level he's been working at recently, the themes that he's addressing, and the way he's doing it, unlike anyone else. Uh, I think, Wade, you you hit on a couple of the reasons why this did jump to number one for me. I, I would have been excited about it, but I did check out the trailer. And oh, there it's, a, are, it's a fantastic trailer, isn't it? I it's mean, it's pretty amazing. And it is. what hooked me is that there are a couple of hints that this is going to be a bit different from what he's done before. And, and you touched on them. I mean, there's the, there's the contemporary setting for one. There's the, it's an urban setting largely. I mean, we do see the, you know, the LA beach here and there, but it's mostly urban scenes. It's a very young trailer with youthful faces, party scenes, and it moves quickly. Um, I mean, there are quick cuts. There's a frantic camera in this. And then even the thematically, there's a suggestion that uh, it's, it's going to be somewhat a meditation on sexual desire. And that's something 
Malik has maybe flitted around here and there in his filmography, but hasn't really focused on. And it would be pretty compelling if he decided to dig into that and and just kind of put his unique aesthetic and and sort of thematic concerns onto that. It it reminds me, I mentioned this on the film spotting episode, it it reminds me of when Kubrick made Eyes Wide Shut and, and people are like, what? This this clinical <laughs> director is going to make a what was being called a sex film? And that turned out really well, I thought. So for a bunch of reasons, yeah, I, I can't wait for Night of Cups. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. You, you mentioned earlier that you were only... It wasn't until recently that you you thought you could call yourself a Malik fan with the Tree of Life. Uh, I, I'm curious what what changed in Malik or what changed in you that kind of led sure. you to make that switch. Yeah, so I first came to Malik probably before the Thin Red Line, which was 1998. As, as you said, Kevin, there was this long gap of uh, where there was no work from him. And by the time, you know, being born in 74, Days of Heaven came out in 78, and that was it. <laughs> so, so I came to him sort of in this understanding of his place in film lore and checking out his films, not as they were released, but preparing for the Thin Red Line. And really liked Badlands, recognized a unique vision, um, even though that is somewhat of a genre tale. It, it's a, you know, a crime spree film, but the, the touch he brought to it was, was just completely different from what anyone else would have done with it. Days of Heaven, I thought, um, was equally intriguing, but seemed to have, it, mannerisms were starting to develop. And, um, I, and also I think it was undercut a little by its cast. Uh, Richard Gere is, is sort of the lead character mm -hmm. there. And, um, and then when I went into Thin Red Line and started to detect, you know, the themes that he's coming to, which, which are essentially this, this, um, trying to get your hands around, your head around, which we all are, even though we understand how crucial it is to the Christian story, that we live in a gorgeous, world that is somehow bent and trying to figure out why that is, how that is, what it feels like to be there and, uh, and what it looks like. And the thin red line being a world war two set film using the, the construct of war beautifully captured that at the same time, it, it also had the sort of uh, meandering voiceovers that never quite worked for me. Um, and, and so I, again, another case where I appreciated it, but I was not one of these people who, who recognized his genius. And, and, you know, I would say this knowing that now that I've seen the tree of life, it was probably all my <laughs> misunderstanding. <laughs> um, the low point for me, though, as as someone who's coming to Malik with that history, was the New World. And what's interesting is, of the Christian cinephiles who I follow at various places or know, that seems to be held up, maybe alongside the Tree of Life, as his masterpiece, um, for 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 reasons because it resonated with them as Christians. And again, I understood it was this idea of mankind despoiling um, Eden. Because it's set, you know, it's the Pocahontas story in a way. But to me, it was just, it was Malik as a commercial. It was all of those, um, th those techniques and aesthetic choices that you could have predicted. And I just did not connect with it at all. But 
boy, the tree of life. I mean, it is, it's the only film we did for fun on film spotting, um, a while back when they did the sight and sound list of the, the best films of all time. We thought, well, let's make our own. No, they're not going to ask us. So let's make our own. <laughs> it was the only contemporary <laughs> film I considered, um, to put on there as, as the top 10 of all time, because I just think it, it, it is where Malik's stylistic heft, th- this, this, idiosyncratic style he has and the thematic ambitions he was going after were perfectly matched so the voiceovers didn't bother me um you know the the sort of meandering camera felt right even these these forays into creation and Mm -hmm. dinosaurs and sean penn in the future um (laughs) all of that came together to make um to make somehow they brought the personal and the universal to this pinpoint that made exact sense to me. Um, and it was, it's one of the few films that has struck me as this profound spiritual experience. Um, and, and like I said, has made me wonder what I was missing in the earlier ones. Or, or maybe he just, this was his movie. This was it, you know, where it did all come together. Uh, Tree of Life was the first Malik film that I saw. And I, Wow. I, I remember picking it up, and I wish I wish I would have done the others first. But I so I, I, Tree of Life, which is my favorite as well. And I hadn't, I really didn't know anything about Malik going into that. And so I'm watching it, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, when is the story going to begin? Like when when are we when are we starting this thing? Uh, and, like it was it was getting artsy for a while, but yeah, settle down, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> they would they would have the credits or something, and then and then we would start this. Uh, and so, but but by the end of the film, I remember I think I tweeted something dumb like, "Oh, Christians really need to discover Terrence Malick or something dumb like that," as if the, as, the, <laughs> as if they didn't know anything about him. Uh, and it was like you said, Josh, there was this. It was almost a, a spiritual experience for me, mm. and. I've, I've met a lot of, of people, um, who are interested in film, Christians, and they, maybe they've seen one of Malik's films or part of one, and they, they don't quite, they don't quite maybe get it at first. And I, mm-hmm. I think that if you come in with an idea of kind of what he's going for, it helps you get into that frame of mind. Because he sure. is very different from really any other filmmaker. And, and so I, I wanted to, to talk about this because I, I, I feel like just kind of framing him as a filmmaker could help people as they work through his filmography, maybe in preparation for, for Nine of Cups. Yeah, yeah. And so I recently, I, I watched Days of Heaven. And, and like you had mentioned with Tree of Life is Malik looks at these intimate stories, but there, there are bigger things at work. And so with Tree of Life, you have this intimate story and it parallels the much bigger, larger story. In Days of Heaven, you have this uh, farm on the panhandle of Texas. And then you realize the time period and the larger conflict at work. And it it's very interesting how he takes the big and he puts them into into these small relationships. When I watched To the Wonder... The priest into the wonder. Um, his story parallels the marriage with, with Ben Affleck and they have this, you know, Ben Affleck has this, uh, you know, romantic, powerful, passionate marriage and then it just kind of sizzles and then we get this priest and 
he is uh, he is he's visiting the poor and he's ministering to the elderly and as he's doing that he's praying and saying god like i can't feel you anymore like i i i just like he feels this disconnect and that really that really spoke to me uh and i feel like i have those moments in malik's films where i just spiritually somehow connects that makes absolute sense i think to the wonder you know if we want to categorize them this way is his most explicitly christian film for sure oh definitely yeah yeah Yeah. uh i think i i kind of came to malik similar to the way josh did uh i mean obviously um i i my starting point was was the thin red line because that was kind of the movie of his that was newest when i was really getting into film and I I kind of did had a lot of trouble connecting with with Malick's films at first. Uh, I I actually to this day don't particularly care for the Thin Red Line. I'd probably call it his weakest film. But the more the more I I kind of engaged with him and culminating with the Tree of Life, kind of saw what he was up to. Uh, he there, there's something he does where he takes these these very amorphous stories like they, they are stories but they don't kind of have a beginning middle and end like in a three-act screen screenplay structure they more just kind of go where he wants them to go and he draws meaning from them uh in in a way that like like you say way is just it's not like any other director out there um i think I wonder, Josh, if, if you think there's anything to this. I was, I like Wade kind of watched Days of Heaven recently as I was trying to catch up with every single Malick film. And I liked Day, Days of Heaven, but kind of in the same way that I liked Badlands where I appreciated it, but I didn't love it. And I was thinking about why his early films are like that for me, whereas The Tree of Life and To the Wonder and to, to a lesser extent, the new world, why I connect with them so strongly. And I was, I was wondering if perhaps Malik has started uh, discovering an ability to create characters that stick a little bit better. Um, yeah. The, the characters in his earliest films kind of strike me as a little bit vaguer. Um, so perhaps their, their spiritual inquiries don't cr- don't land with the same oomph as something that's drawn very much from his, his own experiences and kind of given life by the characters and something like the tree of life. No, I absolutely think that's, that's right. I, I had a similar experience. These are, you know, Wade is right in that in all his films, he gives the experiences and an epicness, a, a something larger is going on sense. But I would also say that, it wasn't until the tree of life that we really had any people we could understand yeah. as people in, in his films. I mean, Badlands had, you know, it was, it's like two legendary criminals is essentially is that thin red line. And maybe Kevin, this is why it resonates the least with you is pretty much an array of soldiers. I mean, none of them really come to the fore. Did I feel? And then the new world has historical figures at its center. So, and as I mentioned, I just, you know, I don't think Richard Gere was up to the task in days of heaven uh, either. It, it's, you know, the, the film almost gave more life to the wheat in there. I mean, that wheat, that, <laughs> wow. I think, the, I think he gives life to the wheat in almost every one of his that's films. True. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He knows how to cast wheat, but, um, but it wasn't, it, it, these, these last couple of films have been um, somehow have captured that, uh, that 
essence of a person. And what's interesting is he's been able to do that with, you know, I like Brad Pitt. Okay, I'm a Brad Pitt fan, but I would not say if if Terrence Malick was going to suddenly really give us a full fledged human being in a film, it's going to be with Brad Pitt. You know what? It worked. <laughs> Chastain um, obviously is is you know does Fantastic. more to that end in the Tree of Life, uh, and similarly with Ben Affleck. I mean, you know, Ben A- now Ben Affleck pretty much does. Ben Affleck into the wonder, but it works perfectly. <laughs> so it does. It does. I, I feel like, you know, my one reservation about Knight of Cups is Christian Bale because I've kind of, you know, soured on him or maybe not soured, but come to realize that all of the movies of his that I like are not really necessarily because of him. So okay. I, I'm not so excited about having him in there, but then again, looking at what he's done with Affleck, with Pitt, and, and again, this focus he's put that you're talking about, Kevin, on, uh, on, on having to have these, these fully formed humans in order for the larger concerns he's always interested in to resonate with us personally. Um, you know, that, that's why these last couple have maybe really worked for me. I was watching yeah. a, a, uh, press, conference for the berlin film festival and christian bell said that terrence malick talked to him about his character and the background but he did not tell us what he said he didn't tell us what the movie was about yeah and i find that <laughs> very fast and and he actually he said he would take them to the beach and hand them gopros cameras and hmm. say just go and if you look in the trailer there are some some gopro footage and so that that intrigues me even more yeah, his his method is you know just so idiosyncratic, and you have you have to think so much is done in the editing room as well um, in terms of constructing that whatever narrative that we do get eventually. Mm-hmm. So where would you say if someone's never seen Malik or maybe maybe they've seen a film or two and they just they want to start over? Where Kevin and Josh, where would you say to start with? What film should they begin with? Should they start with Badlands or or, or, or another film? I guess, I guess you're, you know, the only person who's really going to want to do this is a pretty serious movie lover, right? I would assume. Yeah. So in that case, I always default to you go chronologically. Okay. Um, if you're going to study a director's career. And also with Malik, I think Badlands is a good way to start because like we've talked about it, it's not necessarily a genre film, but it is, you know, a Bonnie and Clyde-ish type story. Mm-hmm. So there are, it, it eases you into the way he works. Let's put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is helpful uh, for for someone to to kind of dip their toe in that, get a sense of it, and then when it starts to really flower um, in Days of Heaven, his other films, and then just like fully connect with the Tree of Life, it, it'll it'll be a overpowering experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if 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 we're talking about kind of a, a, the average Christian who comes up to me and asks me what Malik film I might recommend they check out first, I I might have to go with Tree of Life. Um, even oh, though I, it's sort I did of it like right, I did it right. Good. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of like <laughs> diving into the deep end of Malik. It's you know, it's twirling cameras and classical music and the dinosaurs. <laughs> You'll, yeah, I would have to say <laughs> there are dinosaurs in here. Just stick with it. Um, but so, the Tree of Life is just so I. 
When I think about the Tree of Life and, and people's reactions to it, I keep coming back to a film critic named Tim Brayton. Uh, I don't know if you if you are familiar with him, Josh. He's also a Chicagoan, um, but he he's a self-professed atheist, and he wrote this beautiful review of the Tree of Life where he just was completely overwhelmed by its beauty. And I, I yeah, and I have to think that. If, 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 if even an atheist who's not really on board with the whole Christianity thing can be so entranced by a movie like that, I gotta think, you know, if you really want to hook a Christian with Malik, the Tree of Life might be the place to, might be the best bet. Well, and certainly even though To the Wonder is, is more Christian, if we want to label it that way, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's also his most sort of depressingly Christian because it's all about feeling the loss of God, right? That, that God yeah. has left. So, which is just fascinating to me that he makes this, you know, profound, theologically rich film like the tree of life, which is, is by no means in a testament or a confession or an affirmation, but still very rich on that end. And then he comes right back with this, this movie about, you know, God, you've left me. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the next, the next wow. year too. And he's, he's so sporadic and it is, it, I believe it's the next year that he comes out with it. Yeah. It was pretty quickly after. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank y'all for talking. We're going to move into the, the section where we recommend one item from the TV and film world. Josh, since you are our guest and you are the second Josh we've had on the show so far in two episodes, we're going to let you go first. What would you recommend to our listeners from the world of television and film? So we're recording this the a few days before the Oscars, and one of the nominees for animated feature is The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which was thrilling to see that it got that slot because it definitely deserves as much attention as possible. This is a Japanese animated film that I had at number... Uh, three, I believe, on my top ten list for 2014. Oh, wow. It's based on a Japanese folk tale about a tiny girl found inside a bamboo stalk, and she gets adopted by um, this couple who sort of push her into princesshood because of her magic background, uh, and they feel like this is what you should do, and she's not necessarily so sure about that. Uh, it comes from Isao Takahata is the director. He's also the co-writer, and he founded Studio Ghibli alongside uh, Hayao Miyazaki, who's probably the more familiar name of animation fans. Uh, he did My Name or Totoro, uh, The Wind Rises recently. This is very, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya is very different from those films. It has this sparse, really not only hand-drawn, but they're almost like simple brush strokes, really um, elegant strokes that are deceptive in their simplicity, but just gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. And then there is this sequence that I can't get out of my mind that comes about a third of the way in where the princess flees this palace where she's kind of not really been in prison, but she's there against her wishes. And all of a sudden it turns into this blurry, impressionistic, surreal, um, sort of animation out of nowhere that it was just one of those experiences last year in the film where I was watching it, enjoying it, thinking it was great, and then just sat bolt upright. It was like, what is going on here? What am I seeing? Um, and then, and then it fades back into that other sort of animation style. Really intriguing film. Should be out on DVD now. I think it came out around the 17th. 
Great pick. I'll definitely pick that up as soon as I can. Kevin, what is your pick for the week? Uh, well, uh, before I actually give my pick, I do have to offer a, a correction to last week's show. Uh, when I recommended, uh, the Don Hertzfeld film, I said it was called Everything Will Be Okay, which is not entirely correct. Uh, it's, Everything Will Be Okay is the third of the short films that he stitched together into the full-length feature, but the feature as a whole is is titled It's Such a Beautiful Day. So, okay. sorry listeners, I'm wearing like a dunce cap made of sackcloth <laughs> right now. So, uh, I, I, my humble apologies. But for, the, for today, uh, my recommendation for listeners would be a film called The Mill and the Cross. I picked this one because, you know, we're in Lent now, and I think it's just, it's a wonderful film to watch during Lent. Um, The Mill and the Cross, it's a 2011 movie, Polish, and it's uh, kind of a, it it basically takes as its subject the Peter Bruegel painting, The Procession to Calvary, um, which if you haven't uh, if you're not familiar with the painting, you know, Google image search it or something. Cause it's, it's just an amazing painting. You know, it's, uh, uh, obviously Calvary is the subject of it and it's wonderful. The film basically looks at that painting and kind of brings it to life in a really interesting way. Rutger Hauer plays Bruegel himself painting and the, the picture and talking about the picture intercut with the events in the picture actually happening on screen and kind of reality in the painting world mesh. And there's all this really rich Christian symbolism. So if you're looking for something to really kind of sink into and make you contemplate uh, the passion, uh, it's just, it, it's very artfully done and criminally underseen. Awesome. We'll definitely check that out. My recommendation for the week is a documentary. It came out last year called The Overnighters, and it's by a filmmaker, Jesse Moss. It's about a small town in North Dakota that just has a an oil boom. And so they see a number of workers come looking for jobs. And when they get there, they don't have a place to stay. Real estate is very, very expensive. And so it tells the story of a pastor, a local pastor, who opens up his home and the church to bring in some of these workers and give them a place to stay and help them get on their feet. And what I loved about this film is it it really looks at the difficulties of loving other people and uh, what it takes to do the right thing. He faces opposition from people in the town, from people in his church. And then it also looks at the, the demons this pastor himself fights. And it's a really, really great documentary. It actually just hit Netflix instant. So if you have a chance, check out The Overnighters by Jesse Moss. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Josh, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Can you tell our listeners uh, where they can find more of your work? Sure. EpicChristian.net is uh, where I do a decent amount of film writing from that particular perspective. Film Spotting is easily found on iTunes or other podcast outlets. FilmSpotting.net is the website, and if you want to find me on social media, generally use uh, the Larson on Film handle. That's uh, that's where I'm at. Also, the name of my uh, website where all my reviews are, too. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Josh. We appreciate it, and we'll have to get you on to ask you more 
uh, difficult questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next time I will require all of them in advance. <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> Have your people call our people. There, there you, you go. go. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Seeing and Believing, the new Christ and pop culture film and television podcast. You can connect to us on Twitter. We are at C Believe Pod, C Believe P O D. You can also drop us a line at Seeing and Believing CAPC at gmail.com. Make sure to rate and review our podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.